If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. There are Bibles underneath the seat in front of you if you'd like to grab one of those. Um, I keep meaning to get the page number of where I want you to turn in those if you're using those Bibles, and I keep forgetting. What is it? 687, page 687, um, Matthew 17. And we have been going through Matthew, and we've actually taken a break from going through the book of Matthew for five months. And I said that in the pre-service, and I was like, whoa, it's been that long? Yeah, five months uh, that we've been in Matthew. And so possibly we may need to review chapter 16 before we need on to chapter 17. Uh, in chapter 16, if you turn back one page, um, the people, these crowds, are the Pharisees and the Sadducees mainly, they're demanding a sign, that Jesus give them a sign. And Jesus has been doing all of these healings all along. And so Jesus kind of calls again the Pharisees and Sadducees. But then Jesus, after this, he looks at Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, um, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And we see this beautiful picture. And then the next story, when you drop down chapter 16 to verse 21, is Jesus predicts his death for the first time to his disciples. And that same Peter, that he's like, blessed are you, Peter says, no, Lord, may this never be. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Peter, and this plays into the story tonight, he just has a tendency to talk when no one asked him to. I feel very close to Peter. I feel like we are connected. And we'll see that again this evening. Um, but Jesus then explains to him that um, he says, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. In other words, Satan's using you as a temptation to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then in verse 24, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So that's where we left off in, in chapter 16 of Matthew five months ago. Everyone's like, oh yes, I remember that perfectly now. Um, probably half of you weren't even here five months ago. Uh, and so as we go into chapter 17, this is a very, um, things are shifting dramatically as we enter into chapter 17. But as we've been going through the book of Matthew, our big theme for the book of Matthew is your kingdom come. Uh, we know Jesus prays that as he's teaching his disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. But here, the, the big picture of Matthew is this incredible kingdom. The kingdom of God is now at hand. In fact, John the Baptist is preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus first comes on the scene, he's preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so this is what we see is this kingdom of God coming to fruition. And the kingdom of God is simply put wherever God is having his will done or God is having his will obeyed. As people's lives are turning to Christ and people are making Jesus the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, even today we see the kingdom of God being established. And so your kingdom come. And the big picture, there's two things that we have repeated over and over and over again in this series. The number one, and if you have your fill in the blanks, this is one of them. Number one, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And then number two, Jesus is exactly who he says he is. 
throughout the entire Old Testament, all of the prophets, uh, all of the law, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, is telling about Jesus, is telling about God's love for us and why he's going to send this Messiah, why he's going to send his son. Everything is pointing to him. And then as we've been going through Matthew, we are seeing that Jesus is exactly who we are told that he would be, that Jesus is exactly who he says that he is. And so we've gone through 16 chapters learning about Jesus, and we've gone through all of these things, and now we get to chapter 17, and the very first part, the first 13 verses, are this huge transition as we now start to approach, right after Jesus tells his disciples for the first time, we're going to go into Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me, and I will rise again. And in chapter 16, we see them respond in denial, no, Lord, may this never be. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. These things have to be done. You don't understand how God works. You are very much concerned of human concerns. Now we come into chapter 17. So read with me, and I promise you, it will not make sense. And then I will hopefully be able to explain it, and you'll leave here going, still doesn't make sense. Chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So there is a lot going on in this first part of chapter 17. And I will gladly have a conversation with you over coffee, talk to you. People had questions after the pre-service to discuss some of the other things. We're just going to kind of do somewhat of a flyover explaining the main points of what's happening here. Um, so what's happening in my language, in layman's terms, uh, Jesus calls, and there are 12 disciples, and they're really broken up as you read through the different gospels. They're broken up into four groups of three, and he sends them out in this way. But Peter, James, and John are the three that are, seem to be with Jesus the most, the closest. And they would all play very prominent roles moving forward in establishing the church after Jesus ascends back to heaven. And of the three of these, Peter seems to be the spokesperson. Again, we don't know if anybody asked him to be. It's just his nature to talk. 
me and Peter probably would not be good friends because we were both trying to do the exact same thing. So Jesus takes them with him, and I believe it's because he knows what's about to start happening, and he knows the disciples' faith is small, or it is weak, and we'll see that in the next chunk of, in the next, in the next couple of verses. And he takes them with him because he knows what they're about to endure as they start to see Jesus, who they've now invested three years of their life with, they see him arrested, they see him beaten, they've seen him so that the Bible tells us he's not even recognizable as a man because of the beating that he endures, and then they see him die. And so what Jesus does in this transfiguration is he brings them up onto this mountain, and this is very important to understand, this is constantly seen through the Old Testament, <clears throat> is six days away, Moses Six days, he goes up to a mountain for six days, doesn't hear anything, and then he receives the Ten Commandments. And we see this happen several times in the Old Testament. So Jesus goes away for six days. Then he goes up a mountain, and he brings Peter, James, and John with him. And what Peter, James, and John now see in this transfiguration is, believe they're seeing Jesus, what he looks like here on earth, goes away, and who Jesus really is is what they see. They see this bright light. They see him shining like white. They see the glory of who he really is shine through. Now, at this time that this was written and at the time that this happened, there was no Facebook. We're all on the same page. And so what's fascinating to me is Elijah and Moses show up and they immediately know who they are. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but I think what that means is in heaven we all get jerseys with our names on them, possibly numbers, I don't know. I made that all up. Please do not quote that. I'll be shut down fast. Something about it tells them right away they know who Elijah is, they know who Moses is. Now, why Elijah and Moses? Moses and Elijah have something in common. Moses, they never find his body. He leads them to the promised land and then he disappears. And so at the t at there's rabbinical teachings, it's not necessarily what we would see, is that he never died, he was just brought to heaven. Elijah, we are told, never dies, he is just brought to heaven. And so what they're seeing is like Moses and Elijah, who have never actually died, they just moved. And now they're there and they're ministering to Jesus in front of them and they recognize this. And then Peter, again, nobody says, hey, Peter, what do you think? Peter just volunteers the information. He just says, this is good that we are here. Now, there is some questions whether this was actually in the Hebrew or in the Aramaic, if this was actually a question he's asking of like, why are we here? Is this good that we're here? Should we be here? Do we belong here? So we just know that he makes this statement and then he continues on and says, we should build three, and the word there is tabernacle, of how they would uh, establish a tabernacle as they were wandering uh, when they left Egypt till they got to the promised land and established the temple, these tabernacles, these holy sites. So he goes, here's what we should do. We should build three tabernacles to celebrate Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. And it sounds like a great idea. And then I love how it says, while he was still talking, God shows up. This cloud shows up, and just it's almost as if to, in a response to Peter, kind of like, hey, bud, you've said enough. That's, that's not what we're doing. And he kind of explains why. God shows up and says, this is my son. Now, please understand, and you see this all through the Old Testament. Uh, I say it all the time. Um, not 
known for his theology, but maybe a philosopher, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, when he was a professional wrestler, he would always say, um, it doesn't matter what you think, anytime somebody gave them his opinion. And what we see all the time is when God shows up, what you believe about God doesn't matter. Who God says that he is matters. What God communicates to us is what matters, not, not what we think, not who we want him to be. Uh, there's a great theological movie, don't watch it. I'm not recommending this at all. It's called Talladega Nights, The Legend of Ricky Bobby. Again, do not watch it. I'm not giving a recommendation by any means. There's a scene in it I've heard that they're getting ready to pray, and Will Ferrell's character, Ricky Bobby, is saying, let's pray to baby Jesus. And they're like, well, I don't want to pray to baby Jesus. I want to pray to And they're all having this huge argument about what Jesus they should pray to. The reason I think it's so theologically rich is because that's what we do all the time. We try to make Jesus into who we want. We try to make God into who we want. And that's just not how this works. It doesn't matter what we think. Every time the smallest amount of the glory of God shows up, the only response is what we see with Peter, James, and John. They hit the deck. Every single time God, the glory of God shows up, people are overwhelmed by who they are as a human being. They're overwhelmed with their sin. They know they need mercy. They know they need grace. And they know that he is the only answer. Every single time. These are Peter, James, and John who, in the next chapter, we see them fighting over who's the best in the kingdom. But right here, they understand it doesn't matter. What matters is that the glory of God shines through. Not only that, but even somebody who they have such a high view of with Elijah and Moses, God says, it's not about building three tabernacles to three. It's about my son, Jesus. Don't lose focus on who he is. Don't lose focus on him. And I love how he finishes it up, and we're going to come back to this. But he says, the last three words that God says in this statement is, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. That's what you should be taking away from this. Uh, Jesus is revealing through this transfiguration, he's revealing his power and he's revealing his glory. And God says, listen to him. And I love that you see Jesus, he responds. These three disciples hit the deck. Everything disappears and who's standing there is Jesus. Gently saying, get up. Don't be afraid. How often in life do we need that gentle reminder that yes, he is all powerful. He is exactly who he says he is. He is Lord of all, but he's also there saying, get up. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. So that's the transfiguration. They then start to, they walk down the mountain, pick it up in verse 14. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus looks, and he's looking at the crowd here, and he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible 
for you. So here we see right Matthew as he's telling uh, this story, and Matthew is really broken down into uh, the first four chapters are kind of intro, and then it's broken down into these different messages that Jesus has delivered and what happens right afterwards. And so it's not necessarily chronological, but here we see this chronological picture. They see the transformation, the um, transfiguration of Jesus. They then walk down to the mountain, and the disciples that are left are trying to cast the demon out of a boy, and they can't. And the father is just torn up, and I can't imagine. Uh, sometimes the things that Jesus heals people with, as we read, uh, they are physical problems, and other times they are spiritual problems. Here, this is specifically a spiritual problem. This boy is demon-possessed, and it is causing the boy to do great harm to himself that he has no control over. And I can't imagine, as a father, watching this happen day in and day out, and the pain that this father is healing. And so he comes to Jesus as the only hope and says, I mean, he's brought the boy to the disciples and it's not happening, yet his faith in Jesus still has not wandered. He says, I have to bring him to Jesus. Jesus heals the boy. So the big overarching picture of this, we're going to see Jesus attacking the very fears that we have with his disciples. And here we see that Jesus is more powerful than evil. Jesus is more powerful than evil. But notice the response that Jesus has. And we talked about this, I think, back in Matthew chapter 12 or 13. Is There's a very big difference between the crowd, they show up to see tricks, the disciples who actually believe and follow Jesus, and then the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees at that time. And they're made in very distinct categories whenever Jesus is talking. So Jesus looks at the crowd, and he says, how long? In other words, you have seen me. You've been following me around now at this point for almost three years, maybe more than three years, just to see what trick I'm going to do next, in your opinion. You're not getting it. I am here not to, yes, to heal these physical things. And again, we've always said these healings are Jesus restoring things back to how he originally created them, that he's restoring them back to perfection as it was uh, in the Garden of Eden. He's not necessarily healing as we think of it. He's restoring. That's what Jesus does. He is a restorer. He restores us back into the relationship that was originally intended for us to have with God. And so he restores the son back. He casts the demon out, restores the son back. But he looks at the crowd and says, how long? How long will you just watch? How long will you just not fully understand that I'm not just here to do illusions? I'm here to rescue you you unbelieving and perverse generation. And then they walk away and the disciples say, hey, we couldn't do this. Remember back in Matthew chapter 10 when he sends out the disciples to go all over, he says, you have the power to cast out demons. So the chances are some of them may have already cast out demons and now they're here wondering why it isn't happening and Jesus calls out their lack of faith. What, it's, what he's saying is you're trying to do it under your own power. You're trying to do it under your own power that's why it's not working. If you just had the smallest amount, he compares it to a mustard seed, which at this time is the smallest seed that anybody would know of a seed. He says, if you just had the smallest amount of faith in me and allowed me to do the work through you, you could move mountains. In other words, if you just had the smallest amount of faith and you allowed me to do what only I can do through you, you can accomplish great things. Why? Because you're obeying the will of what I've laid out for you to do. So Jesus is more powerful than evil. Jesus has a plan for your life. He created you. We say this all the time, the talents, abilities, uh, gifts, and the experiences that you have are all meant to be used for his glory if you allow Jesus to work through you. Jesus is more powerful than evil. Jump to verse 22 and 23. 
When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Here again, chapter 16, he tells them for the first time what's going to happen, and they're met with denial. No, Lord, this isn't going to happen. He reprimands them, specifically Peter, but everybody else gets the point. Here he tells them again, and look at the, the change as they're filled with grief. But what Jesus is communicating here is that they're, number one, he, he uses the, um, in this version, it says he's going to be delivered over to them. Uh, it's also better translated, handed over, and it really means somebody amongst us is going to hand me over. Uh, he's forecasting his betrayal that is going to happen at the hands of Judas. So now it's not just that he's going to be arrested, but the disciples are understanding that it's going to be a betrayal, that he's going to be handed over to somebody that is going to do this to him. But look at what Jesus is telling them. He says, I will die, but on the third day I will rise again. Why? He's trying to tell them, Jesus, I am more powerful than death. Jesus came to conquer sin and to conquer death, and when he rose again, he did just that. But the disciples, you can tell, are filled with grief and fear. And then, verses 24 through 27, I'm going to tie all these together, so just stay with me. It says, after Jesus and his disciples, so they're, as he predicts his death, they're traveling to Capernaum after coming down from the mountain. It says, verse 24, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax. We're going to stop here for a second. I'm sure, anybody else want to explain what the two temple drachma taxes? No? I'll do it. This was nothing that was set up by the government. Not much is known about this. Um, more than likely, historians think that this was set up because people just weren't bringing the proper sacrifices to the temple. And so, uh, going back, I don't know, 50, 60 years plus, there used to be churches that when you came in and sat down, you had to put a quarter in the pew. And I was going to ask if anybody remembered that, but I won't. Uh, and that was like your pew, t that was your pew fee. Uh, not all denominations did this, by the way, uh, but you would come in and there would be a little bucket on every pew, and you, it was like a quarter or a dime, depending on what age you were going to. And that's kind of what this two drachma tax was, is it was just like, hey, we have to get something. We're running out of money, so we need some form of money coming in. So uh, every, every Jewish male over the age of 18 had to pay two drachma. It was, a, it was kind of like us paying a quarter. It wasn't that much, but it was still just that annoying cost, like going to Aldi and having to put a quarter in to get a shopping cart that you know you're going to forget when you leave. Again, not me, but other people, they told me about it. And so they come up, so that's what the two dragon taxes, just put it simply. Uh, so they, they come up to Peter, and I love that they ask Peter and not Jesus. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. Uh, this is Peter's name. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or, or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But, so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. So a very simple story with a lot of meaning behind it. 
the big picture that I want you to put, and this also happens to be a fill in the blank, is Jesus is more powerful than religious institutions. This drachma tax was never instituted by God. It was never instituted as part of the law. Uh, it was nothing, it was, it was made by man. It wasn't the government tax. It wasn't the tax collectors as we know Matthew and Zacchaeus would have been. Jesus is more powerful than religious institutions. The, there's a lot here, but two things that should stand out. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control, and he will provide. Uh, it's, it's very interesting that they come up and ask Peter, hey, does your teacher, because they're just trying to find anything on Jesus they can. Because doesn't your teacher? And I love that he answers the question. And again, this isn't what's written down, but I have this feeling that he's like actually walking inside to ask Jesus, like, hey, you do pay that tax, right? Because I just answered yes to these guys. Uh, maybe I should have asked you first, but what happened, happened. But Jesus knows what's going on outside. Peter walks in, and he immediately says, Peter, does the king tax his children or his people? He says, his people. He goes, okay. Mainly meaning, we're not owed this duty to God as his children. The second part is very, very important. He says, but so that we don't cause offense. And then he says, go down and throw out a line. By the way, at this time, they fished with nets. Peter is a fisherman, but they fish with nets. He goes, go cast a line. Uh, a net catches a lot of fish. A line catches one. He says, go cast out a line. The first fish you pull in, there will be a four drachma coin. And go pay both of our taxes. So Jesus is willing to do this to not cause offense. Now, as we've mentioned going over and over again, is people thought he was there to lead a rebellion. The people thought that he was there to overthrow Romans. They thought that's what they needed salvation from. They thought he was over there to overthrow the religious leaders. They thought that's what they needed salvation from. They thought he was there and they listed all these reasons and they were waiting for this mighty warrior king, this political leader who is finally going to save them. But just like with us today is we look for a savior in the wrong place. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom meaning it's not done how we think it should be done. It's done how the Almighty God says it should be done. The last shall be first. And so here we have Jesus, and everyone has built up who they think he is, and I think Jesus knows that if he had said, you know what, we're not paying the temple tax, everyone would have said, yeah, and rioted behind him. Jesus doesn't lead riots. Jesus says, so as not to cause an offense, I will provide this. Why? Because religious institutions don't hold me. I created fish. And I know every single thing there is to know about them. And there happens to be a fish waiting to bite your line that swallowed coins earlier. And that's going to pay our drachma tax. Why? Because Jesus provides. So three things. Jesus is more powerful than evil. Jesus is more powerful than death. Jesus is more powerful than religious institutions. And I think what we see is the disciples' fears were the same as ours are today. We have a fear of evil. The disciples are wondering, can we withstand Satan? Jesus is saying, they're going to come, I'm going to be handed over to them, and they're going to kill me. And even though he's saying, and I, in three days I will rise again, what they're caught up on is, oh no. Can we withstand evil? Can we withstand Satan? Can we withstand his temptation? Can we withstand all of these things that are evil? And I think that's the same thing that we find ourselves asking today. Can we withstand evil? 
The second thing they fear is they have a fear of death. They're wondering what happens to Jesus. Do they come for us next? In fact, when they, Jesus is arrested, all of the disciples flee. They take off running, except for John, who watches from a distance, and Peter, who stands outside and denies knowing him. The rest of them run for their lives. So there is a fear of death that is very real with them, and I think there is a fear of death that is very real with us. We wonder what happens after we die. Uh, even when we are, uh, have made Jesus the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, there are these question marks I think we still wrestle with every day, and there is this apparent fear of death. And then the number three fear is they have a fear of what others can do to them. They have a fear of what will people think of me. They have a fear of what will people do to me. And I think that's the same fear for us. It's a fear of why we don't turn our life over to Jesus, why we don't surrender all that we are and all that we have to him and say, you, I need your forgiveness of my sins and now you are the Lord of my life. But even for people that have made that decision, there's this fear of what will other people think of me if I start to live as I've been commanded to live. So what do we do with that? I want to go back to those three words that God said. Listen to him. Listen to him. That word listen properly translated means to respond in conformity. If you're married, you know there is a big difference between hearing and listening. The words, well, I didn't hear you, happen a lot. Why? Because Sometimes people, and again, I've heard of other, this happen to other people, um, they'll say, I told you, I know you heard me. To listen means there's an immediate response done with action. Well, what God is saying is, obey. If you are actually listening to Jesus, there will be action that accompanies what you're hearing. The crowd heard Jesus. There was no action taken. There was no response except, let's go see if he can heal the next leper. Let's go see if he can heal the next blind guy. They were just following, watching. The disciples believed, and it changed their actions. So listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Number one, and um, these are the questions we want you to go over in a community group. By the way, if you are not in a community group, please let us know. Um, we know scheduling is difficult, so there is a possibility we'll be starting up another community group. So if you're like, I haven't been in one yet, um, but I would really like to be in one, we will work with you and your schedule to try to make sure that that can happen for you. So please let us know. But in your community group, point number one uh, should be on the back of your handouts. Listen to Jesus. Uh, please understand the disciples jumped to talking and they missed the point, primarily Peter. How often do we place things on the same level of Jesus without realizing it? He was quick. And again, Elijah and Moses, incredible. Elijah represented the prophets. Moses represented the law. So there's Moses and Elijah. He says, we need to build three tabernacles. And God says, it's all about Jesus. How often do we place things on the same level of Jesus that do not belong there, even good things? The disciples jumped to talking and they missed the point. They failed to do miracles like him because they were missing who he was. They were missing how powerful that he, Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. So the question we want you to ask in community groups this week is, what things are taking your focus off Jesus and causing you to not listen to Jesus? 
What are the things in your life that are just not allowing you, maybe they're not allowing you to enter into that relationship with him, making him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, or maybe there's just things in your life that are busying you up so much that it is taking your focus off who Jesus is. The second thing we want you to take home is obey Jesus. Obey Jesus. Understand, faith results in obedience. Listening results in action. Faith results in obedience. He says the faith of a mustard seed, a small amount of faith will result in Jesus accomplishing the things he wants to accomplish in your life when you allow him to be the one doing it. And then the third question is, what happens to these fears when we listen and obey Jesus' commands? These three fears that are prevalent in all of our lives, the fear of evil, the fear of death, and the fear of what others can do to us, what happens to these fears when we listen and obey Jesus' commands? When we look at the disciples who are struggling with these fears, and right now they're saying, okay, Jesus, like, this is a lot. Next week we'll see how the, what they're really concerned about is how they're viewed, who's most important. We'll see them fight over who gets to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus just before Jesus goes and dies. Jesus responds by washing their feet. So these disciples just don't quite get it, which I'm thankful for because, man, does it give me hope. But these disciples, after seeing Jesus die and rise again, after seeing him ascend to heaven, every single one of them would go and do nothing but preach the gospel until they were killed. And they were killed in horrific ways, and they just didn't care. Why? Because they saw Jesus, they knew who he was, and they knew nothing else mattered. This evening, if you're here and you have never entered into that relationship, that's our big prayer. That is our big prayer. Uh, Reed, can you go back to that song slide again? Chains be broken. Thank you, Reed. If you're here this evening and you have never entered into that relationship with him, our prayer is, those chains that you just can't seem to shake, that they would be broken. That the healing that needs to take place in your life that only the great healer can do because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross when he defeated sin and death, when he rose from that grave, only he can heal your life. Our prayer is that tonight that lives would be healed. Or maybe you've heard your whole life Maybe this is your first time or you're somewhere in between. Our prayer is that your eyes be open to the truth of who Jesus is, that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and that tonight all of us would leave here with Christ being revealed in our lives, that we would know who he is, that he is Lord of all, and that he is exactly who he says he is, but also that he is the answer that he is the only one that can save us, and that tonight, please, when we get done in here, please come and find one of us, myself, anybody you see up here on stage, Shannon, there are people wearing Hope Church t-shirts, please come and find one of us and ask questions that maybe you feel like you're too afraid to ask. But what we wanna see here tonight is people, lives, change for the glory of God. Dear Holy Father, Lord, I pray that this evening, I pray that we would allow your word 
to continue to work in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here who has never put their faith in you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would enter into that relationship with you as their Savior, their forgiver, and their Lord. Lord, I pray for those that are here who need healing, who may be battling fear. I think of the disciples laying there petrified, and yet Jesus comes, he touches them, he says, get up and don't be afraid. I pray for those of us that need that in our lives, that need to be reminded of your gentle, loving touch. I pray that you would touch those hearts that need to be touched this evening, that we would follow after you, that we would listen and obey you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.